of mercy. I'd actually propose that a church is not a church if it is not a merciful, gracious church. What an encouraging song and what an encouraging time that we've had so far in worship. Uh, And now as we go to worship with the word, would you all um, go with me before the Lord in prayer as we ask him, as we always do, for help for our time in the word. Father, thank you for being a merciful God to sinners like us. Thank you for giving us this church that we might gather and to sing songs to your glory, to go before you in prayer together as a congregation, and to be able to even hear your word week in and week out. We ask, Lord, that you would use the word to work in your people's hearts and minds today. And as we look at the next few verses, Lord, would you specifically press upon our hearts what it is that you've revealed in your word? Would you use the preaching of the word now to build up your people for your glory? We say this in Christ's name, amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue on in our series and start a new chapter in the book that we are going through. And uh, Paul here is now following up on similar themes to drive home his continued point that the Galatians believers must live their lives in the freedom of Christ and break loose from the shackles and hindrances of the law that these false teachers were promoting. I've read this quote many, many times by Martin Luther. It goes something like this. Uh, He says that Paul's purpose in Galatians is to beat into our minds the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we see how easy it is for Christians to get off track, I think it's good that the whole book of Galatians is just that, right? As Luther says, he wants to get it into our hearts and minds. That's what this whole letter has been about. Now, we all know and like this idea of freedom, don't we? We're Americans. It's what we do. It's who we are. But the freedom that Paul commends here is a spiritual freedom that Christians can sometimes miss out on. How do I know that? Because this whole entire letter of Galatians has been about calling back those who have been missing out on this freedom themselves. That's what it's all been about. Paul is calling them back. And Paul is calling you and I back as well. If we're missing this freedom in our lives, he's calling us back too. This may be the thing that's holding you back in the Christian life. So pay attention, every one of you, even if you've been to church your whole lives. Because Paul has been regularly calling them back to this freedom and also putting the false teachers on blast, warning the Galatian believers about their dangerous ways. Why? Because of freedom. 
and also because of a race. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? You all know that in a race, we know this, right? Obstacles in the path can really be an issue for us. Unless you're racing against the clock in American Ninja Warrior, obstacles should be removed from the track. Because what happens when obstacles and hindrances in our way as racers, we all know that that's not a good thing. That's a problem. That's an issue. Especially those of us who've seen the movie Cool Runnings, we're going to know that this is the case as well. You know the story. Maybe some of you don't. Jamaica has a bobsled team. And during the preliminary races to qualify for the Olympics in this Disney movie, two runners collide and trip up and fail to make it to the summer games because of that hindrance in that race. So, if you've seen the movie, as the story goes, this is not a true story, by the way, but they decide to hire John Candy as their bobsled coach, and they train for the Winter Olympic Games instead of the summer. Why? Because of hindrances. They were disqualified, and they had to go another route to make their Olympic dreams come true. Well, this passage is about a race as well, the race of the Christian life. And it's about freedom and about living our lives to the glory of God, and it's about hindrances, and it's about these false teaching Judaizers and the ways that they've hindered believers. And Paul has continued to warn against them, rebuke against them, remind all the parties involved how dangerous this kind of approach of a works-centered justification really is in opposition to the true biblical approach of how important really gospel-centered justification really is, on the other hand, which is the title of our series. And this leads us to our text and our first point, and number one, that we're going to see from the passage, and this is this, stand free, all of us must stand free, and don't fall. This is Paul and what he's getting across to us here. Look with me at Galatians 5 and verses 1 through 4 for this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen Away from grace. On the heels of the slave versus free illustration that we saw the last time in this series of Hagar and Sarah, if you remember that, Paul calls them back again to freedom. Notice from the passage that he says to them, don't submit again to the hard yoke of slavery. What does this mean for the Galatians and us? It means that Christians can fall into that kind of legalistic yoke. He says, stand up, shake yourselves off, and come back after you have fallen yourselves. 
Maybe you've been tripped up by false teaching and false thinking yourself. Maybe you've fallen down in the Christian life. You've chased after false teaching and teachers and your own thinking and imagination about realities that are nowhere found in the scriptures. Maybe that's you. Paul is calling you back to the gospel because it hurts you. It's like a heavy yoke placed on an animal. It's hard, that kind of thing. It's burdensome. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light in the gospel of Matthew. Paul wants you and I to experience freedom in Christ, not bondage and slavery. On that note, any pastor or Christian teacher or leader who pushes you to more, 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 work, 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 earn, 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 do, 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 you see, those kinds of teachers are not good teachers, but bondage, yoke, slavery type of teachers, and you need to avoid them like the plague. Because here, Paul moves from the broad theme of the Mosaic law that he's been addressing, as we've been seeing in multiple chapters of the book. He's been warning about this topic, and he zooms in on one specific law that these false teachers were promoting really heavily. And that is the topic, as you see here, of religious circumcision to supposedly make yourself righteous before God and make yourself accepted into the people of God as these false teachers were saying, and as the Galatian believers were themselves believing. It was work, work, work. Do, do, do. Law, law, law. That's what it's all about, they said. You see, Paul already brought up this topic earlier in the letter as he defended, if you remember, Titus from the false teachers who secretly snuck in in that meeting to spy out their freedom and and basically try to get this non-Jewish Gentile who was not circumcised to be circumcised. Paul dealt with that as a past example, and he put that to an end and said, hey, don't put that pressure on him. He doesn't have to do that to be saved. This is the reality. Quit, Quit teaching these false things. But I want us to see here now in Galatians 5, this is the first time that Paul is directly bringing up this topic of circumcision to the Galatian churches themselves specifically about their own conduct, about the own teaching that they've heard. The story earlier in the letter was a kind of like a biographical, autobiographical situation that would have stung the Galatian readers because they knew, even in that past illustration of Titus, that they were breaking that command and direction because they were listening to the false teachers about this religious practice. Now, I realize here that none of us are really worried and struggling and tempted today with this legalistic practice of being circumcised for religious acceptance before God. No one's going around and really saying that in our church. I haven't heard anything like that. I realize that that's not our specific context, and I realize that in light of that, we might think that this is irrelevant to us. What does this have to do with us? None of us are pursuing that kind of thing, but what I don't want us to do is feel like we're off the hook because we don't deal with this specific issue in terms of legalism and 
trying to earn before God because we're tempted with other things, aren't we? We're tempted with other legalistic practices other than circumcision as a religious acceptance before God. They were tempted with that. What are we struggling with today in our pursuits of earning before God? We're not off the hook, Christians. We could have other issues, and we have to think about those for us. So what are, I want us to think about this, things that we do religiously to earn favor before God and others? Ask yourself this question. What are the areas that we can be tempted to to somehow earn favor before God? Law-keeping always ends in curse, as we've seen in this letter and as we've seen before. And Paul mentions it again relating to circumcision. Why? Because we cannot keep all the laws, so if we try to rely upon the works of the law, we're under a curse because we fail in so many ways. None of us are perfect. What are the ways that we seek to boast and build ourselves up and earn as Christians today? Maybe it's something like this. If I'm a good enough person, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and I might be accepted before God. That kind of thinking is cursed. If I get baptized, that will make me right before God and it will save me and I'll be all good. That kind of thinking is cursed. If I'm a part of the right church, my connection with the church will get me in the good graces of God Cursed, if I'm a part of the right family, for that matter. My family ties will get me in. I've heard one person say, hey, put in a good word with the guy upstairs and help me get in. It doesn't work like that. Cursed. If I raise my kids well enough, I will be accepted and everything will be good and cursed. If I'm accomplished enough in my career and I have value and worth to the world, I will be all set, cursed. If I meet my health and wealth and weight loss goals and financial goals, I will arrive and I will be accepted and it will be all good, cursed. If I'm a good enough spouse and meet all those expectations, it will provide for me fulfillment and acceptance and personal righteousness, curse. Or if I just align myself with the right political Leader, I'll be on the right side that I could have identity with for all of us, for all of us, anyone thinking that, cursed. Or if I do my devotionals this way and this long, God will accept me, curse. Or on the negative side, if I avoid certain people who are not seen as acceptable in our culture, if I just stay away from them, I will be all right, cursed. If I avoid drinking this drink or eating this Food. I will be pure and better than the others and right before God and look how wonderful I am. That kind of thinking is, of course, cursed. If I don't watch that sport or movie or show, God will accept me as his child and I will be all wonderful and great and I can pat myself on the back. Cursed. Cursed. If I just avoid all these sinners and unbelievers and separate myself from I can keep myself pure and unstained and upright. Curse, we are a city on a hill. We must be witnesses to a fallen world. All these things are backwards in thinking and cursed. 
All these things are just you or I or anybody else just depending on ourselves and what we're doing or what we're not doing for that matter. All those things end in curse because all these legalisms do not lead to our righteousness before a holy God. That legalism is powerless to change you. Only faith in Christ can accomplish that for us as we've seen in this series, gospel-centered justification. Not works, law-centered justification, not to-do list-centered justification, but gospel, good news-centered justification of a Savior who did it all, who paid it all, who did it all for our righteousness. Now, of course, some things that I listed in those lists were not necessarily bad, the point, if we practice these things for our right standing before God in terms of our justification, this topic, then it's just legalistic, cursed law-keeping. That's what it is. It's condemned by Paul, by God. We should condemn it too. And all this is to say that if any of us pursue things or don't pursue these things in order to be justified, it says that Christ is of no value to you. Because Christ is only valuable, I hope you see, to those who trust him and reject all other avenues of being made right with God. We don't think we need a savior if we're all set with all of our legalistic practices. It's when we see that we're sinners. It's when we see that we're hopeless. It's when we see the need of Jesus that we go to him for our salvation. Go to Jesus, church. And furthermore, we can be cursed because when we pursue the works of the law or legalisms, we know that we will never be able to keep at all. As we've seen before, in that situation, you are on a cliff without a rope, doomed. We rely upon law-keeping. If we rely upon circumcision or our goodness or our practices of what we do or we don't do. We rely upon anything else but faith in Jesus. We are cursed. And if we're trusting anything else by Jesus, it says here that you are removing yourself from the family of God and that you are cut off from Jesus and you have fallen from grace as the text clearly says. Christians, listen. Stand firm in your freedom in Christ. For he has set you free and he has paid it all. You owe all to him. As the song goes, stand back up if you have fallen into any of these legalisms, like the Galatians did. Dust yourself off, reorient your thinking to the gospel, and make sure that you are standing firm in the free grace of God and not stumbling back into legalistic foolishness and curse. That's my first charge, and that's the first point, and this leads us now to our second point, and number two... Run in the Spirit by faith. Look with me in Galatians 5, verses 5 to 8 for this. It says this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. You see here that the Apostle Paul boils things down 
to what really matters most in the Christian life or what really counts as believers as we live out our daily lives. We are not only justified by grace through faith when we first believed, I want you to hear this, but we continue to walk in the Spirit and trust Christ through faith for our only hope of being justified now and into the future. We never move on from that grace. We never move on from that hope. We never move on from that faith in Jesus. We're still dependent. This means that we look forward to our future vindication after our death or if Christ returns. Why? Because of God's grace alone. That's how we can look forward. We keep on trusting him. Are you, are you continuing to trust Jesus? Trusting the good news of the gospel continually and, and keeping on walking in the spirit in light of this great truth of how we're made right with God. Remember in chapter three, he said, oh, how quickly you have abandoned your beginning and your start in the spirit and then you moved on to be perfected in the flesh, he said. Why are you falling away, Galatians Paul was saying then, and he's saying it now too. The Galatians stumbled after a good start at the beginning of the race. Maybe you're here with us today. Maybe you began your Christian life well, and you can recall countless stories about the good old days when you did wonderful ministry for God, where you participated in memorable spiritual activity and you did it all for the right reasons with the right heart and it was clear that God was involved, it was so evident that God showed up and you think about it and you talk about it and you're encouraged by it and that is all great. Back then, it was all great. But my question to all of us is what is going on now in our lives? Have we stumbled in our pure love of God and the gospel and fallen down and gotten tripped up into things that don't really matter, whatever it may be, that throw you off, throw us off, and hinder us in our race? I think every Christian could admit to seasons like that. Have you rested on your past accomplishments and ignored where your heart is right now? Or have you ever moved on from the pure uncombined grace of God alone to save you and added a little bit of your own works and practices to kind of pump up your merit before a holy God to your account? Have you, have you moved to that? If so, I want you to see that this whole letter is a word from God of his holy word to you. And I want you to realize that Paul wants you, along with the Galatians, and also, God himself, I believe, wants you and all of us to take heed of this warning. But how can we tell if we've fallen from this grace? I think the verse we just read up front there uh, in verse 5, and we're going to see it again. Look with me at verse 5 of Galatians 5. It says, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I think this is a key here. Are you still just as thankful and enamored and in awe of God about the good news of the gospel 
as you were back then? Are you still so excited and thankful now, dependent upon it now? Do you find right now your only hope to your problem of sin and evil to be answered in Jesus Christ and him alone now? Do you see that? You may have seen it wonderfully back then, but where is your heart now? Listen to what John Stott helpfully said about this future hope of righteousness we just read about from our text. Let's see what he says about this. He says, for this future salvation, we wait. We do not work for it. We wait for it by faith. We do not strive anxiously to secure it or imagine that we have to earn it by our good works. He says, final glorification in heaven is as free a gift as our initial justification. So by faith, trusting only in Christ crucified, we wait for it. Let me say that again. Final glorification in heaven when we are made perfect and we have no more sin and that we're accepted before God and that we rejoice in him and the new heavens and the new earth. He says final glorification in heaven is as free a gift as our justification initially. So by faith, trusting only in Christ crucified, we wait for it. Are you eagerly hoping and waiting in anticipation for your future fellowship with God on the basis of Jesus Christ and his work alone, are you? Or are you just bored with the old gospel? Oh, I hope you are not bored with the old rugged gospel of that old rugged cross. It is yours and mine and anyone who might be saved in the future's only hope in life and in death. But if you've found yourself moving on from the gospel and you're here with us today, or if you find yourself now even unawed by it, you could take it or leave it. You'll think about it a little bit on Sundays, but other than that, it doesn't make much of a difference. This is an indication that you have fallen down And if you don't see your swerving error, you are in grave danger. Be honest with yourself about where you're at spiritually. Come back to the gospel. Trust Jesus alone. Not your supposed goodness. Because you don't have any to rest on. We must admit our need for Jesus. We're sinners saved by grace. But does this mean, saints, believers, that it just doesn't matter how we live today? Does it mean that we can live like the devil? Does it mean that God doesn't care how we even live our lives? Or that God could care less? Whatever we might do, either good or bad, Or that we don't even have to strive and pursue Christ to obey him? Does obedience to Jesus simply not matter in light of justification in these things? Well, of course, it doesn't mean all that. And of course, obeying the law of Christ matters. And that following Jesus matters and the glorifying God matters. Because why? Because saved people are transformed people. I don't do good things in order to be saved and justified. 
they live in different ways because God had saved them in amazing ways. And saved people will also live by faith through love and fulfill the law of Christ. They are new creatures living out their lives day by day, keeping in step with the Spirit, as J.I. Packer's famous book title puts it so well. Keep in step with the Spirit. And living by faith, working out through love of Christ in them. That's the Make no mistake about it. Christians will live new lives. They will actually keep on running the race, and they will not stop and quit, take a nap, or be careless. They will continue to train, run, get up when they stumble. Don't get me wrong here. They will not be perfect, and they will not run perfectly. None of us have. None of us will, and it will be hard, but they will keep on going by the power of the Spirit, even with a limp. They will not fully give up the sight of heaven. They will not give in because that is what a Christian is, a persevering one. And the Holy Spirit actually works in Christians to help them continue and enable them to continue living by faith in love. It's good news for us, those of us who wander and struggle and have it hard and go through hard times. It's good news for us. But if you see someone who's fully dropped out of the race entirely, fully, what you're seeing about that person is that they have a false profession of faith. Because Christians are in the race one way or another. But someone who started well and completely fell away, what we're seeing here and what we see through the New Testament is that there's this aspect of an ingenuine believer or a faker in terms of profession. Christians will not only get back up when they stumble, you see, they will continue the race their whole lives relying on Jesus all the way in hope. Not for what they do, but for what he has done. This passage here clearly indicates what matters most to God. What is it? Look with me at verse 6 again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Do you see that? Works of any kind do not add up to earn you favor before God salvifically in terms of your salvation. But what does God want for us? What is he pleased by? Clearly, It's our continued faith in responding and working out it all in love, not to earn, but to respond in love and gratitude, being filled by the Holy Spirit in us who prompts us to continue by faith. From faith to faith. So ask yourself this question if you're here with us. Am I living by faith day by day through Love. Ask yourself, do I have love for other Christians here in this room? Do I love God? Do I act with the motive of love in all that I do? Not perfectly, but is it there? Is there a heartbeat there? If that's the case, then it's a good indicator that the Spirit is working in you and you're living by faith and running the Christian life through love, by faith. 
in the power of the Spirit. But if you're here and you say that you love God, and really deep down in your heart, hate your brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Church, or maybe you would never say that you hate anybody here, but you think badly about them, if you're honest, maybe, or if you gossip and say nasty things behind their backs, supposedly your brothers and sisters in Christ, bought by the blood of Christ, you say nasty things and gossip behind their backs, here's my question, do you really love them? Or do you hate them in reality? If that's you and you're doing that kind of thing and you're feeling that kind of way, you might say you love everyone, but you don't. You don't. You don't. John tells us in 1 John that someone says they love God but hates their brother is what? A liar. If that's you, you're not living by faith, working through love. It's clear. Examine yourself. But if that's you, does that mean that you're hopeless? No, not at all. There are new morning mercies every day. Repent now, turn from your sins, stand up after stumbling down and get back in the race. Keep on running. Move on from these hindrances, whether it's legalism or prideful, arrogant, boastful hearts, looking down on others, uh, critiquing others, judging others, having hearts of contention all the time. If that's you, look to God, stand back up, brush yourself off, and get back in the race of grace. That's what Paul keeps telling the Galatians here. Aren't you glad that he doesn't just give up on them in their sinful departure from their error? Aren't you glad that he doesn't give up on you? Oh, I'm so glad he doesn't give up on me. He says to them that you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? This is not from him who calls you, he says. He reminds the believers in Galatia that they had gotten off track. Well, why did they get off track? And why do we sometimes get off track? This leads us to our third and final point to see this in number three, cut off. The leaven, and before we get to the verse, I'm going to warn you up front that it's not pretty. As we'll see shortly, and as we've been seeing continually, Paul has been warning them and telling them to expose and cut out and avoid and rebuke and cast away these Judaizers, these false teachers. And that, of course, is nothing new to our whole entire letter because we've been seeing that over and over and over again. Even in ways, as Luther says, he's beating these realities into our minds and hearts for a good reason. But it's what he says next here in this passage that, in a very even sarcastic way, takes things to the next level, as we'll see now. So there's the disclaimer. Let's see it from God's word together. Galatians 5 and verse 9 says this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I told you. My third point title here, Cut Off the Leaven, is leaven is, of course, dealing with cutting off the leaven of the false teachers that we see right here from the text in the beginning of the text. It's not related to the end of the passage at all, but, but Paul is telling the false teachers to do it. Uh, he's telling them sarcastically to do that themselves, not literally, as we're going to see later. And he's not telling the Galatians, of course, and directing them in this matter. But hopefully this point title points our hearts and minds to the fact that Paul is not messing around here. It's shocking that this would even be in the Bible, but it's right there. We can't avoid it, even if it's cringeworthy, and it is. But we'll get back to that shocking statement at the end there later. But let's think about the concept of leaven first. Did you know that only one or two or a few bad teachers can hurt the whole body of Christians, even here in Gallatin. I don't care how solid a church is. You see, in the Galatian churches, Paul was their teacher. They had fallen away from the apostle Paul's ministry. If that's the case, as we've seen over and over, isn't it true that churches like ours can fall away if we're not careful as well? That's why Paul gives pastors to rebuke and warn and protect us as we've seen before even in the book of Titus. That is one important reason why Pastor Wood and I are here. And it's no accident that Wood has been warning us in his Jude series, and it's no accident that I'm here warning you in our Galatian series as well. We do it as pastors to expose the unseen leaven that will infect us if we're not careful. So instead of playing nice and friendly with bad teaching and bad living, it's our job as pastors to expose it and cut it off before it destroys the whole body of our church. And you should too. Now you might be like, hold on there, Daniel. That's your job. But do you see here that this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to the whole church to get rid of these teachers in the letter of the Galatians. Pastors lead, yes, to be sure, but the whole body upholds and protects sound doctrine and sound living as well. I've been discussing this quite a bit with some of our new potential member candidates the last few weeks. We are all responsible to uphold our church's doctrine and morals in our covenant, not just a few of us, but every single member of our church. Because even with good pastors, if members, you see, have itching ears, what's going to happen? No one is going to listen to good pastors. So this is for all of us here at First Baptist Church to care about and uphold. I want you to Take that to heart if you're a member of our church. Take that to heart if you ever desire to become a member of this church. This is responsibility of meaningful membership, one of the great responsibilities. And I just love here 
Paul's optimistic confidence in the gospel, as we saw in this final passage. He knows that some of them were not genuine, and if they were not genuine, they, of course, would fall away and would move away from what they falsely professed in terms of their initial potential supposed conversion. But he also knew that the ones who were genuine have the Holy Spirit and will stand up again after they've stumbled and he'll continue on. He's hopeful that he's going to win them over. This is the Apostle Paul not just being a downer but recognizing, I know you're going to listen to me. I know you're going to come back. Those of you who are genuine, he could take it to the bank because they have the Holy Spirit. They're going to agree with true teaching. They're going to agree with the true gospel of a true teacher. They're going to agree with Paul, their true friend, a truth teller, over the false teaching of the flatterers who were not really their friends but tripped them up. He knows he'll win them back with the truth because if they're believers, they're going to turn away. They're going to stand up and continue on the right. Look with me again at Paul's perspective here in verse 10 again. He says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. So we see here that not only Paul is confident that they will stand up and keep running the Christian life after they got tripped up by the Judaizers, kind of like the Jamaican bobsled team prepping for the summer Olympics getting tripped up and then continuing on prepping for the Winter Olympics. He's confident that the bigwig ringleader teacher will bear the consequences of the Galatian churches exposing and excommunicating and basically cutting off and kicking out the heretic teachers and specifically this main leader that we see here once and for all. Paul's confidence that they're going to believe it because they have the Holy Spirit the Spirit will lead them into truth. Praise God for that. And he points out the obvious in verse 11. See it again. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, Paul's saying that, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Look, despite all the slander and rumors and falsehood of these bad teachers and what they were saying about Paul, and, and just by implication, they must have said something like this, Paul also preaches that circumcision was necessary for salvation as well. They may have been kind of muddying the waters and confusing uh, the Galatian believers um, because it's brought up here in that way, as the text indicates. All that is is more slander against the Apostle Paul, and Paul calls that out as he's been calling out many representations throughout the entire level. We've seen, letter we've seen many times when he's done that. And says, why do you think I am taking all this heat, Galatians. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is offensive because it denies works and things like circumcision. Certainly, I'm not preaching that. He's like, hello, I defended Titus publicly in Antioch that he should not get circumcised for salvation purposes. Remember that earlier when there was that secret meeting? No way that Paul would be preaching circumcision, as they were falsely saying. He was preaching, rather, the offense of the cross of Christ alone. Because preaching Jesus alone means that we bring nothing to the table. And all the works, righteousness, and all those teachers who taught those things, you see, they get offended by that. They want to add something to the mix. They want to earn. They want to take some credit. 
They want to be able to point to something of their own. But Paul responds to all of that almost as he was, as if he was at the end of his rope in irritation and righteous anger against these false teachers who were hurting dear Christian sheep, believers in Galatia. He wasn't happy about this. This is not a happy-go-lucky, smiley, clappy type of letter, right? Like we've seen that. And this ending here in verse 12 is Paul's mic drop moment. And he says that these false teachers, if they're so interested in this whole circumcision thing, they might as well go all the way and emasculate themselves and cut it all off, is what he says. It might make you cringe, and let me tell you, I've been spending all this week trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to preach this passage in this text. But it says it right there in Galatians 5.12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul said it, says it right there. Now, how should we think about all this? Should we blush or rebuke Paul for writing it and think that Paul has lost his mind? Well, I want to encourage you, Paul is not jaded here. And he's not unraveling right before our eyes like that couple you see at the restaurant in a huge fight and you are embarrassed for them as you're listening in on it. It's just so awkward, but you can't turn away from it. That's not what Paul is here. But he is being very serious and very sober. Do you remember this that Jesus himself said in Matthew 18? That it would be better for false teachers causing little ones to stumble, to have a millstone tied around their necks and thrown to the bottom of the sea to be drowned and die rather than causing people to stumble in sin? Jesus said that. Jesus said that. So in like manner to Jesus, Paul is not messing around. And though the majority of commentators and pastors all take this passage to be referring to actual emasculation as it says there, of course, Paul is not being literal here as everyone of those commentators and pastors realize, and I hope you realize that too, Paul is using extreme hyperbolic language to shock and make his point about how dead serious he is here. And he had already called out their law-keeping as pagan earlier in the book, if you remember. He showed that they were going back to the worthless elementary principles of the world He's also showing here in a shocking way, in a shocking statement, that these false teachers could go on and even practice this pagan, sick discussing. There's a pagan, sick discussion, a a practice amongst pagan religion with this ritual of castration amongst pagans. You could, you could, that's historical. These, some did these in the worship of false gods for spiritual reasons anyways, Paul makes a connection here. Why? Because Paul is sarcastically saying that these false teachers were just really pagan anyways. And that the actual law also said in other places that things like emasculation here would disqualify them and cut them off from God's people anyways. So I think there's a sense here also that Paul is pointing to the fact that he thinks that these false teachers are already cutting themselves off of the church And he's also pointing out that 
they might as well just cut it all off because they are outside. They're anathema. They're cursed. They're cursed law keepers on their way to hell and that the Galatian believers need to go away from them and not agree with them and they need to put these false teachers out of the church in practicing church discipline on them even. Paul is not messing around. Here's my question to you, church. Do you think Paul was being extreme and wrong in his approach here? Do you think Jesus was being wrong and extreme in his approach? And do you take the gospel that seriously? Life or death, heaven or hell is at stake. Do you see how seriously he takes it? I want you to realize that the Bible teaches us that we must respond to false teaching in an urgent kind of way. And sometimes even, sometimes some professing Christians who may even be members of our very church must be removed for insidious leaven that they really are and that the danger that they cause to the whole entire church. This should cause an urgency in us as we stand up to legalism, to stand up to the legalists, and to stand up to anybody who would add things to the gospel to stand up to anyone who would be contentious about good biblical realities and divisive and things of that nature, all over the scriptures that Paul warns about dealing with that kind of poison because that little poison or that little leaven will leaven the whole lump and ruin and destroy a whole church if we're not careful. And it's what he's commanding right here, and I hope you see it. Because lives are at stake. Your lives, our lives are at stake, and we cannot be lazy about this. Because there are false teachers and professing Christians who are being influences and causing many to stumble in many ways, to get trapped up in the race and being a stumbling block. So as you think about your Christian life and the race of the Christian life, I want us all to run free and unhindered from all this and to remember to get back up when you stumble and fall. Stand in your freedom, church. Don't fall from grace. And run this race not by yourself, not in your own strength, not in a pride and a can-do attitude, but run the race in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. Pick up that bobsled when you've fallen. Tie up the laces, laces when you trip. And be warned and identify and call out false teachers who will hinder you, who will cause you to trip. And those false gospels that will hinder you, call it out when you see them before the leaven infests the whole church. And pray. Pray earnestly in light of these challenges. Let's do that right now together. Father, we thank you that your word gives us direction and help and warning about really, really serious and dangerous things. Help us to have a biblical view and a heart that is being molded by your word and not our culture and not our feelings, and not anything else but what your word reveals. Would you protect our church from falsehood? Would you unify our church together for this glorious, free gospel of grace? We ask for your help.